The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not that of the GUI Media Network or associated brands and sponsors. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity, because clothing is a prison and society will not cage me. In a world with too many reboots and remakes, two men will stop it on nothing to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Welcome to a short version of the Spack My Pitch Up Mash Ups, where we take some of the material that we talked about on the last episode and mash it up. I know it's a very complicated title. And we uh, decide what would go where. Uh, basically, it's like fumbling in the dark, like your first time, where it's not going to last nearly as long as it should. Uh, and it's not going to be as satisfying, but it still happened. So <laughs> this, this show is a brawl with all class. Yes, it is <laughs> just sure. infinite class. <laughs> and, and the one that's helping me fumble finger in the dark along this episode, of course, is Tondi Woodard. Hey, kids. I'm busy with Grandma's bra. I'll be right with you. <laughs> uh, we have a, a big bra to uh, unclasp on this episode because the <laughs> last movie that we decided to adapt was, in fact, The Wizard of Oz, which I was very impressed by some of the choices that we made on our versions. Uh, but that's such a wide swath of things that you could just put into that universe, you know, that is created from that. Yeah, uh, it is. It is huge. It, it, the only thing bigger we could have done from the era is gone with the wind. I don't see us doing gone with the wind. So yeah, it was the big daddy. <laughs> Frankly, my witch, I don't give a damn. Yeah. that would be... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. As a mashup. Yes. I can actually see that working in the 1930s. Not so much today. I don't want to see the version of Wizard of Wizard of Oz where there's the one uh, black character that is like they're a servant, and there's the look on her face of like, oh. "Isn't this some bullshit?" The whole time. Oh, she's trying to birth Dorothy's babies. Yeah, I don't want to see that either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what about birth no uh, munchkin babies. Munchkin ah. babies. <laughs> yeah, in that version, the the Dorothy hooked up with the mayor of Hobbiton or whatever the uh, the Munchkin Land is. Yeah. I guess it's just Munchkin Land. And it's just like little tin men that pop out. And she's got some explaining to do. <laughs> oh, is it so straight titane? Yeah. 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 Her, her vagina pops like a steam whistle <laughs> after she gives birth. <laughs> I am horrified. Yep. Is there a tab for that? <laughs> well, okay. So not gone with the wind for sure. But there are plenty of other things. We, we mentioned a couple that we could mash up Wizard of Oz with. And part of it is because you're talking fantasy world. And this is a fantasy world that in the story is almost separated by directions. So you could so easily yeah. just put another fantasy realm as another part of Oz. A hundred percent. Actually, I was thinking of one that we didn't mention that is very relevant to the time period, which is C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think that would slot in nicely as far as... Uh, fantasy repairing. You could even make like uh, I don't know. Aslan is the cowardly lion hiding out from from uh, his responsibilities in Narnia. Oh my goodness! You could have that half of the kingdom 
is following this like religious lion. And then the other half uh-huh. has accepted science because of the wizard. Uh, and the Wicked Witch is actually Tash, the devil in those books. Yeah, he was the devil that the brown people worshipped as their god. Oh, no. A lot of racism in period literature, but yeah. Oh, well, of course. And that's the thing is that a lot of those books I read as a child, so those little things weren't really picked up on when you're a, ch- when you're a kid. Um, I'm kind of glad that I read it as a child so I got the wonderment without the like overt racism that was attached to it. <laughs> it's just a given. Yep. That's like so, so usually you don't have to, you don't have to pick up on the overt racism because the books don't have any minorities. <laughs> if it has anything exotic to fill those exotic spaces, they're gonna be like, what is exotic that I'm familiar with? Oh, blacks and yeller people yep. and browns and yeah. That's like everybody that knows Lovecraft knows that he was also like a really big racist. I mean, the name of his cat alone, Huge. which we won't get into, but um, yeah, that was just, an, it's a known quantity. It's not like something that has been assumed by his literature. Like he was openly a racist and, uh, that isn't really, oh, that'd be a fun combination. Oh, <laughs> Lovecraft, Lovecraft and Oz. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> that would be, oh, you've got the Wizard of Oz is one of uh, Lovecraft's like men who seek knowledge and that's how he got to Oz, but he's driven insane by the pursuit. So the wizard is, is completely insane by the time that. Dorothy gets to him. And it's up to Dorothy to fight, fight like Nyarlotep or something. <laughs> along the yeah. way. And, and you find out that the green glow of Oz is not the city itself. It's the sleeping beast that slumbers beneath the city. And all of a sudden you realize that the city has strange, almost Egyptian style <laughs> writings. Uh, <laughs> and the people have fish eyes. Fish eyes. Yeah, definitely. The older ones are kind of scaly. I'm just thinking about the, the, the Munchkin uh, guild with fish eyes, and uh, that's never going to leave my brain now. That's just the thing that lives in there. <laughs> is fish-eyed it's munchkin. beautifully lane. horrifying. Yeah, absolutely yeah. horrifying. That would be, oh man, I would love, because I think at this point, the Wizard of Oz and Lovecraft stuff are all out there, like able to be combined uh, by anyone who wants oh, to. Oh, in the in, uh, public license? Pub- public uh, domain, yeah. Public domain, yeah. So, yeah. Just like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, you can take the material and just do whatever the hell you want to with it. So I would absolutely adore if a writer that was very well versed in Lovecraft just turned the Lovecraft lens onto Wizard of Oz and just made it this old gods, like Mountains of Madness are like, you know, Emerald City is at the top of the Mountains of Madness or something where you're incorporating all these uh, stories from Lovecraft into Wizard of Oz. Oh, man, I would buy that in a fucking second. Yeah, and the thing is that there's extensive canon on both sides. There were like 19 Oz books. Uh, I think 12 of them were written by Baum and like the rest of them were written by somebody else. But there's a huge uh, mythos behind the land of Oz. And then Lovecraft had, he had a lot of literature. He wrote a lot of creepy stuff. And uh, what's his face? August Derelith continued his mythos. So there's a lot of literature that you could pull from to, to put those two together. And in addition to that, you've got so many authors that have involved themselves in like the world that was created by these authors. I mean, there are a number of people that have written uh-huh. Lovecraftian tales in, involving those characters uh, and, and monsters and gods, you know, that uh, you can pull from as well. I mean, an example is Lovecraft Country, which wasn't 
written by Lovecraft at all, because uh, he wouldn't have written, written that <laughs> Not story. at all. Not at all. Written despite Lovecraft. Yeah, but it kind of shares <laughs> uh, a mythos connective tissue with Lovecraft. Much like you've got, you know, the Watchmen series that was definitely not written by Alan Moore. <laughs> that, no, but it was uh, it was so good because if they were like, what can we do to make this something that could be written by Moore if he was a little bit, uh, if you thought differently? Just the thought differently is the nicest way you could possibly put it. <laughs> I was both astounded uh, by Lovecraft Country and by Watchmen on how you can take material that exists, you know, talk about a mashup, you know, material that exists in uh -huh. one sphere and you mash it into something else that it wasn't intended to, but it works. I mean, both of them worked. Lovecraft Country was definitely not for everyone. That was a very genre as fuck show that d didn't mind being really weird. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't. I did not see Lovecraft Country. I saw Watchmen, of course, but I didn't see Lovecraft Country. But I heard really good things about it at the beginning. So that that first episode, everybody said it was amazing. It was incredible. I don't know how it followed from that, but <laughs> what I gathered from Lovecraft Country it, while watching it was that it just got more bizarre as it went on. So I can see how, as each episode went, it would lose some viewership. Because there was just points where mm -hmm. people were like, all right, I'm done. I watched all the way through. I very much enjoyed it. I was looking forward to a season two. Uh, there was going to be a whole lot that could have been done with season two that I was really excited to see. Uh, but it was a weirdo show. But somebody that has watched the Warehouse 13s and Eurekas and X-Files of it all, of just a lot of weird shit happening. Not just the, not just the alien abductions and X-Files, but there's also... Like mollusk men and witchcraft and other dumb <laughs> shit that gets thrown in. Lovecraft Country was kind of doing the same thing where there was the main Lovecraftian elements, but there was fucking time travel and like space stuff and all sorts of weird shit going on. And I was into it. It was it was fun. Um The Watchmen was a lot more cohesive as a story a line goes, um, the the series. And uh I think that's why that Well, yeah, Watchmen was uh was classic TV. That was uh it's probably a top 50 show uh, as far as that kind of TV. Mm -hmm. Watchmen was extraordinary. It, it, really, it really was. And uh, I understand. I'm actually with the creator saying, like, we don't really need another season. It's because they did leave it open in a way. Uh, they could have done another uh -huh. season. But I think it said what it needed to say. And so to to force a second season when you don't have the right story for it, that it's not necessary. Like, if there was something specifically they were going to try to tell absolutely i'm in but just to push it because it was so popular no i don't, I don't. yeah and it also to have the uh the awareness to realize that you've created something that's cohesively complete and not want to ruin that that's pretty huge that's uh usually a creator's ego will get in the way or desire mostly it's the desire for more money but usually that gets in the way of having something that is perfectly cohesively complete and just ruining that and so, that is a you shame. know, kudos to them. That's why, you know, you look back, even Wizard of Oz, to, to pull it back into our original conversation, is that if the first Wizard of Oz movie came out in, like, the 90s or 2000s, there would have been the next year a sequel. I mean, right away. Yeah. But the fact that this technology was new, um, they the sequels weren't really even a commonplace thing at that point when Wizard of Oz came out. So 
the idea. Well, they that, had series. They had series. They, they had like series. Uh, the Thin Man series. They had. They had. They, I don't think they had series for things that were expensive and you know swing for the fences like the Wizard of Oz was. Sure. But if something could be made easily and relatively inexpensively, there were some popular series. They tried to wring the the uh, the blood from those stones as well back in the day. Yeah. But not with these like but genre speaking pictures. Of, yeah. No. Pro- Probably not. But speaking of uh, Lovecraft, I don't know if you saw the Photoshop edit that I put up on the Smack My Pitch Up Twitter page uh, based off of one of your takes. But it's basically Wizard of Oz and Elden Rings uh, with uh, my uh, inspiration being the Green Knight. It said the Green Light was the title and it had like uh, Elden Rings versions of Dorothy and the Toto and the Tin Man and the Lion and the Scarecrow. Um, so Elden Ring and the Wizard of Oz, a fine fantasy combination and Elden Ring and all of the FromSoft games are also inspired by Lovecraft. So it gives you a, a nice visual starting point. There's a, there's a primer for what Lovecraft's visuals might actually look like in the world (laughs) in a really cool way. I'm looking at the image now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like Lovecraft meets, uh, Shamrock the Block, uh, kind of vibe going for it. (laughs) It's green as fuck. Yes. It is very green, yeah. <laughs> I have not yet done Elden Ring. I've been holding off because I'm already playing a couple games, and I don't want to get overloaded. And just the other day, there was a Steam sale, and there was like two or three more games that I wanted to get, and I had to hold off. So I will eventually. It's poison. Don't don't ever play it. <laughs> it's it's so uh, not so much in the modern time, but I'm an old school gamer. I've I've given many years of my life to the gaming. And I don't think that in any like one stretch sitting, I've ever spent more time with the game. I think I'm at like 85 hours or something, and I'm nowhere near finished with the game. Yeah, just wow, just don't do it. Yeah, I'm currently going through that rigmarole with both the, the Guardians of the Galaxy video game and the Avengers video game. So I'm just like double double dosing on Marvel, <laughs> where I'm like, it's too much space. I guess I'll go fight bad guys on land in Earth. <laughs> It's, uh, it's yeah, but much. see, those sound like fun. This is like uh, like a religion. Elden Ring is a religion. It's 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 a uh, it's a call to arms to your brothers who know the the pain of dying continuously, thousands and thousands of times, as you only get infinitesimally better every time. Uh, I'm scratching my skin right now because there's some Elden Rings waiting for me in my veins. I can't <laughs> I can't get to it, but I need to get to it. You know, speaking of, there, that is something that is a little bit missing from the Wizard of Oz uh, movie, and uh, as one that has not read the books, I can't speak to what is in those, but a major battle. You know, there, there's, there's like, skirmishes in the movie, but... Yeah, but it's, 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 it's not that kind of story. It, it could be, and I think that in some of the other books, they do have larger battles. I don't think they ever have all-out war, though. They, they, I don't think that Frank L. Baum ever tells tales like that, but that would be interesting to see the uh, the bloody corpses of the munchkins on the battlefield and uh, yeah, m- mingled with the bodies of flying monkeys and the, the soldiers of, uh, uh, yeah, so munchkins blue, the monkeys, I'm assuming, wear black, the soldiers of Oz wear green and all covered with all shades of red because of all the blood. Yes, that would be striking. It beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. 
contrasts there. Like, uh, what was that? Oh, Braveheart. Like, the battlefield in, like, Braveheart. Right. Just bodies as far as the eye can see. And Mel Gibson screaming freedom in the background for some reason. <laughs> and the set director being like, who invited Mel Gibson to my closed set? Right. Like, we yelled cut 10 minutes ago. I don't know why he's still yelling freedom. <laughs> Another thing that I was thinking of, and this could actually work a little bit, speaking of uh, things that incorporated Lovecraftian elements, um, that's a fantasy world element, is uh, a trailer released recently for season four of Stranger Things. And to incorporate Wizard of Oz and the Upside Down would be an interesting uh, take on... Oh, that'd be very interesting, modern fun. How's that trailer? I haven't seen that trailer yet. Oh, it looks incredible. It looks great. And Wizard of Oz and Stranger Things are doing... The same thing, but differently, whereas in Wizard of Oz, the movie, the characters are the same in both the fantasy world and in Kansas. And in Stranger Things, the characters aren't the same, but the elements of the worlds are the same. There's the same houses and there's, you know, there's a dilapidated Mm -hmm. version of the upside down. So there's they're utilizing similar uh, similar choices, but like there's the people and then the environment are the the way that they go about it. So. Uh I've been interested in seeing yeah. like an upside down where there's multiple versions of alternate universes. One being Oz where the people are the same and one being this dilapidated upside down environment and trying to get everything to align uh, would be. Oh, all of the Dorothy's are played by Millie Bobby Brown so that she's uh, 11 is actually one of the Dorothy's. Yes. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. And then you've got the like Kansas curly haired uh, carrying a picnic basket with her dog in it. Dorothy, yeah, uh, the fresh face Dorothy, yeah. fresh face Dorothy, and then you've got just the uh, the upside down Dorothy, which is, I guess, just that episode where she was like a goth chick. Uh, you just put her <laughs> yeah. in that costume, like but she when she was road when she was road warrior Dorothy. Yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> if that ends up being what season four is, I'm sorry ahead of time. That was not the plan to spoil it already. <laughs> They, they can't, we, we're using our imaginations here. We have no access to scripts or materials. If we're brilliant, that's just us. Uh, Stranger Things, I looked up because I was working on the schedule for the main show, GUI, and um, the 27th of May is when Stranger Things drops. It's also the day that uh, two episodes of Kenobi drops. It is also the day <laughs> that Top Gun Maverick drops. So the 27th of May is going to be a busy nerd day for sure. <laughs> so so Top Gun Maverick, uh, I listened to the uh, the film cast, one of the old school movie review podcasts, and they do every year this bet to see which summer movie will make the most money, do a top 10. And one of their guests had Top Gun Maverick in like the number four slot. And I've never seen, I've never heard a beat down like that in my entire life on the <laughs> podcast. They were like, you idiot. You stupid idiot. It's it's going to be like you and your grandfather at the freaking movie. You've got some nerve bringing Top Gun Maverick into this conversation. It was it, with love, but it was hilarious. And they're I right, because Top Gun is a legacy property that represents a world they used to be, and if it had come out maybe 15 years ago, it would have been huge. You know, Tom Cruise is a draw, but I don't know how huge it's going to be now. That's what I'm intrigued to see, is that I want to see Top Gun Maverick, and don't get me wrong, I understand the challenges of a movie that is, like, 
yay American military in the current in world that we're in is not yeah. uh not yes that great, is one of the things yeah not the best but I also see that as being a actual draw for a lot of people that wouldn't traditionally uh there would be there will be almost like an, a nationalistic glean on the movie to a degree because of the lack of films like that that are coming out right now so what I'm saying is that, that is true that the audience might be one that that alone might be a reason to wait for it to come on video on demand. What was um, what was Tom Hanks' yay military movie fairly recent? Greyhound, his submarine movie for Apple TV. Oh right, right. But the difference that, there is that's I the f- last one I can think of. I feel like period movies though get a little bit more leeway because that's stuff that already happens. So there's like. There's an allowance to be okay about, no, that already happened. That's not like yay now war. That's like yay then war. It's different. Uh Uh-huh. Back then war is fine. And Tom Hanks is bringing a different vibe in general, so yes. But yeah. With with, uh, Tom Cruise, it's going to be the celebration of action and uh, the celebration of the power of the American military because it's cool. Because Tom Cruise is it's 80s cool. The opening weekend of Top Gun Maverick, where somebody wearing a mask, uh, out of volunteering to, walks into the theater to see it, and then they're called like Snowflake and beaten up by this crowd of like chubby dads that <laughs> are there to see Top chubby Gun granddads, Maverick. Yeah. chubby granddads that are there to see Top Gun Maverick. He's like, I'm here to smoking cigars in the theater. He's like, I grew up on Top Gun. I want, I'm here to see the movie just like you guys. Like, get out of here, snowflake, with your mask. Take your weak, your weak body and your weak mind, and you can go watch the Super Pets or whatever you actually came here to see. He's like, I'm torn. I have a lung condition. I wore a mask, to, you know, because I have a shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I smoked this cigar. <laughs> they force feed cigars to the guy on the in the front row of Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what you. It was like. your own fault. You went, <laughs> you went at the retiree's time of day, so you brought it on yourself. <laughs> oh man, holy shit! The three p.m. Tuesday matinee of uh, Top Gun Maverick is gonna be buck fucking wild. It's, it's gonna be lit. It's gonna be old man lit. Just a, a... It's gonna like be like those VFW guys who were in the Avengers party in the uh, the Age of oh, Ultron. Right. Just ripping it up. Give me that and just drinking mystical alcohol. A sea of Tommy Bahama shirts, (laughs) as far as we can see, (laughs) and and MAGA hats. Unfortunately, yeah, and MAGA hats just shot in bright red for the (laughs) the world to see. That's something that would be interesting to see with uh with Wizard of Oz as you mash up our current political climate, uh, (laughs) Wizard of Oz, uh, where you've got instead of the Wicked Witch, it's just. It's just like, you don't even have to do it as Trump. You can do it as just like a very thinly veiled play at Trump. You can, you can have Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene as the, uh, the archetype for the Wicked Witch of the West. And then you, you have everybody else that wants to live in like tolerance and peace together that are fighting against her minions of flying monkeys that are trying to like destroy everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be... Um... That would be beautiful for some people, and other people would receive it like they received the uh, the Comet is Coming movie on Netflix. Oh, right. Well. God, man, people got lo- lost it over that movie. 
Although if it's Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, minions of flying monkeys, I do want them shitting on everything. <laughs> just like, I mean, every just big flying flocks of flying monkeys that are just decimating whole areas with feces, just wherever they go, just monkey shit everywhere. <laughs> I think nobody even wants but to they're find all them. Just Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're just her face. Flying <laughs> 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 around. Except for the one Lorena Bobbert one. Her, her and uh, Matt Gates, yeah. <laughs> Didn't she? <laughs> yeah. No, the witch had some like regular size sidekicks, right? It wasn't just the flying monkeys, or I think you're thinking of Power Rangers. Maybe. Oh yeah, Rita Repulsa. <laughs> Rita, and... Rita Repulsa's sidekick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goldark. What happened that she got usurped? But the throne got usurped by Lord Zed. Wasn't that the whole thing? Lord Zed was the uh, I think the OG, and I think uh, he came back from space prison or something and said, "What have you been doing, you stupid bitch?" And uh yeah, I think he just he just usurped power that was already his at some point. That's right. Okay. I think Rita had been like a uh, an underling of his uh in some former hundred thousand years ago or whatever. And yeah, and he just took the throne back. Okay, that sounds right. Yep, that makes sense. But like uh Skeletor and Hordak. I mean, where's the Wizard of Oz where like all the major players that were on the yellow brick road got their own like zords? So like the, the scarecrow sword, the tin man sword, the even Toto gets one. <laughs> Toto sword, and, and Toto sword is just taking a really uncomfortable looking dump in the corner while everybody else is fighting. <laughs> or the Megazord just has a basket that the 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 Toto sword is in and just yips out of. That's their it's just like a, a mega bark that just makes shit shake and glass shatter. Oh. I hate you, Toto. No, I'm <laughs> sure that that would be so cute. It would be reminiscent of the maid uh, bot in uh, Spaceballs that sucks all the oxygen out of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Except it would just be like, look like Dorothy with the pigtails and a basket instead of a vacuum. Very intimidating. I would love it. Sa same kind of graphics, too. Same stiff, fast, 1980s special effects. I would love it. You know, there's something to be said about using old school style effects in a modern movie. Uh, that's part of the reason why, and we won't wax too far poetic about it because, holy shit, uh, that's another three hours of conversation. But everything, everywhere, all at once. Some of the special effects that they used, they weren't trying to make it look hyper realistic, and that's what actually made it work better. Yeah, is... no, it was uh, it was incredible. They they put a lot of effort and care into what they did, though. Um... <laughs> even for things that were not supposed to look real at all, like Rakakuni. Uh, Holy it was kind of awesome. <laughs> I lost my fucking mind at that um, because it's so stupid, but then you, you did it just played it for, for heart instead of laughs. You know, the laughs were there. They were, they were already for the taking. They didn't have to do any more to get laughs. Just the mere concept alone was enough to get the laughs. And then they just went, no, what if we turn right instead of left and just give it heart? Where you you actually care yeah. about fuck. It was it was amazing. It was it was amazing in such a way that it, it's probably a whole conversation unto itself. It's it's actually more than a whole conversation because not only is there the appreciation of the movie and the experience, there's like a therapy session in there somewhere too. One hundred percent. The number of people I've talked to that have like good triggered, I guess, by this movie where it brought up a lot of emotions of about, you know, like generational trauma and relationships with parents and a lot of other stuff, but in a way that the movie was almost cathartic to those conversations. 
that yeah, it's shown. Yeah, no, it is amazing. There's a, um, did we talk about this last week? There's a movie reviewer, Walter Chaw, who's pretty big in his space. Uh, he's an Asian American. He's got all kinds of trauma from having like traditional Asian parents, but growing up in America, all kinds of resentments. He said that just the experience of watching this movie made him forgive his mother, who he'd been estranged from for like 20 years or something. And he, he told he, he shared the stuff that she did that was that really hurt him. It was pretty awful stuff. But he's like, no, I understand just from watching this movie. I understand what my mother was feeling and where she was coming from. I I forgive my mother. So, yeah, it is it is something it is something for people uh, who have had certain experiences. Yeah, sure. That's amazing. Probably and probably not just Asian immigrants, but also almost any immigrant families are going to have some of the same kinds of traumas that that this movie doesn't go hardcore to that kind of trauma. Actually, I feel like the Asian American um, experience that between um, Michelle Yeoh and her daughter in the movie are not as harsh as whatever that's not fully explored that happened between Michelle Yeoh and her father. Correct. Yeah, that's that hard experience. And I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing. But whether you're like Nigerian or you are coming from India, whatever, I think that you can empathize with that experience. I did have a friend that posted after seeing it that said, I didn't realize going in that I was being targeted by this movie as a uh, queer daughter of immigrants. Uh, but here we are. <laughs> I know this person well, and I didn't even think about like them in such narrow terms before. But thinking about what this movie is mainly talking about, and then that seeing that post that was oh, like fuck, this movie came after you. I've never, um, and most movies are written for literally me. I'm as as a white uh-huh. man, like most movies, but for something to be that specific is a rarity uh, to be centered oh, I'm sure that hard. Sucker punched them right in the emotions. Oh, 100%. Right in the emotions. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Holy shit. But, uh, which is, you know, ultimately that's, that's not every time, but that's kind of the experience you're looking for uh, from a really good movie. Something that touches you deeply in that fashion, something that seems like focused directly at you. Mm-hmm. And, the best stories are the ones that it is something, even if you don't directly relate to the very specifics of it, there's such a, a human nature element to it that everybody can get it to a degree. And that's everything everywhere all at once where my friend who it was like, they might've well have been pointing at them <laughs> from the screen. Uh-huh. Um, me just being a person that d- didn't have a lot of those, re- those direct issues still felt like the humanness of those moments and was able to empathize with the characters properly. And that's, that's fucking filmmaking. Holy shit. Um, that even yeah. unrelated folks are just like, Oh, like feeling every bit of what the character is <laughs> feeling. It's great. I feel like any conversation I have for the next six, six months is going to get derailed by just talking about everything everywhere all at once. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is part of the thing. Well, Here's that would be true, except uh, people don't watch movies like I've had this conversation uh, with uh, Twitter folks. People watch. Well, people don't watch film. People watch movies. So there's a very limited pool of movies that everybody has seen. 
everything everywhere all at once is not going to be one of those movies that everybody has seen. So you're not going to be able to have that conversation with as many people as you would like, because people don't watch film. Like uh, film has huge cultural cachet because regular people used to watch film fairly recently, like say 20 years ago, regular people watch film. People don't watch film now. Like uh, they'll watch the series. They'll watch movies those 10 movies that come out a year that everybody watches and they might catch some fun stuff that comes on the streaming services if it catches the uh, the zeitgeist but anything that somebody has to sit down and like um is going to make them feel something that is not for specifically them or their dad or maybe their mom directly they're probably not going to have seen it. it. It sucks, but it is super true. Just having conversations with regular people about film and movies. And I've, I've had that realization with like the past decade or so that people do not watch movies or do not watch film. Film as uh, Amy and I like to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the movies. That, yeah, it's not just some something that you watch. It's something that you experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that that is a sad state. Uh, hopefully that uh, that changes as the culture does. You know, we are in such a polarizing time where everybody is only paying attention to the things that, like you said, focuses on them specifically. And maybe that's the lesson here is that, you know, empathy is what drives a story. You know, um, that's that's what allows yeah. you to be able to enjoy something, even if it when it's not talking about you specifically. And uh yeah, well, that's it's a big one of it's one of the big themes of the Wizard of Oz. Actually, mm-hmm. it's it's empathy for the self. Actually, it's understanding that you have value and you have something to offer, and putting those people in situations where that something to offer gets to be surfaced because mm-hmm. everyone has something to offer given the correct circumstance. Is what the Wizard of Oz uh, posits, I think, and. Also, everybody has that moment where they feel like they aren't enough for the situation, for for what you know is required of them. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that should be enough for you to be able to identify with a story. Is just having that natural human feeling uh, that the character is feeling. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope that the crowds return to being able to be able to empathize with characters again, without you know, uh, without it being handed to them. I don't think it's just the empathizing with characters. I think that uh, the entertainment landscape has changed in such a way that um, if you could do and everything everywhere all at once in five minutes on TikTok or whatever, or you could do it uh, in a series, something that's weird that people latch onto, then I think that people will still feel. I just think that the way people process and absorb entertainment has changed to the point where traditional theater traditional cinema does not speak the language of generations going forward. Like, um, and my son is in no way representative of, of the, his entire generation, but I took him to see, I went for a second viewing of everything everywhere all at once. And I took him on that second viewing and I wanted to have a na 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 moment with him mm-hmm. because, you know, it's about family. It's about a parent and a child and mm-hmm. stuff. And we came out of that, and I was waiting for my na 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 moment <laughs> of like, "Dad, you're cool. Here's a hug." And he's like, "So that was interesting." 
And then that was it. That's all I got. Oh, no. <laughs> that was all I got. That's It's a combination <laughs> as a parent from what I've understood from my friends that are, is that you get those moments on occasion with something that really you're excited about. But most of the time, it's like, that's cool. Look at phone. You know, they're just completely not giving <laughs> yeah. you what you want. Maybe because they know how much you want it, even. is why you're not going to get it. Are, are, are we done with this now? Yeah. Can, can, I, can I go? Which I, I do understand, because as an adult, because I'm a little bit ADHD, I'm like that when I engage people, too. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Man, sure would like to not be doing this right now. But, yeah, you, you hope to have, like, a different relationship with specific people, but it just it, it's, it diffuses all through your life. And so when you're like, hey, son, are we excited to, yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, is there more popcorn left? I'm going to go get some more popcorn and then never come back and never ask you what happened when they were gone because they don't care. Oh, the future. That's going to be my kid with Star Wars and it's going to break my heart. <laughs> and then th- then they're going to be like lamenting oh. my death at, at, at like, you know, in my like 90s. And they're going to come and listen to old episodes. And then they're going to hear this episode where I'm just talking about how much it's going to break their old man's heart if they don't like Star Wars. And then they're going to have this moment of like, it's my fault or something. And yeah. <laughs> or he'll be disaffected or she or she'll be disaffected like all kids are today and be like, uh, you should have gotten therapy, Dad. Um, <laughs> Dad, you, you were 40 when you recorded that. You shouldn't have been that excited about a space fantasy movie with wi- wizards with laser swords. But, you know. There's a director that I follow on Twitter who um, his young son He's a director and he loves movies. He loves movies more than anything. So he's tried to infuse his young son with that love for movies. And his young son does not love movies. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Like I'm trying. He's like, this is the, this is the big thing I got. It's like me with my big boxes of comic books. When my son was younger, trying to be like, Hey, you want to read this comic book? Yeah, this is boring. This is boring. (laughs) Maybe I'll come back to it later. He's a, He's a big um, manga and anime fan now. Yeah, but did not directly pick up my love of comic books. He likes them now. Yeah, which is more than I could have hoped for at, at some point in time. Well, the kids are gonna find their thing when they decide to find it. You know, <laughs> pushing it's not gonna help. But but that is uh, <sighs> speaking of like ADHD making you be like having to change gears. Uh, we are at the end of this episode, so I can go do more. Oh, we kid it on a downer. Uh, somebody <laughs> fart or something. Somebody, I don't know. Take a pratfall. You can't see it on the on the uh, podcast, but and then, oh, I fell down. And then also, and then Dorothy and the Wicked Rich kiss. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I fell on my trophy, and it's in my butt. <laughs> I lost my mind. <laughs> That's, it was insane. Yeah. Yes, it was. You knew it was going to happen. You saw the setup. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The payoff was an hour and a half later. So much worth it. Oh, so fucking worth it. But <laughs> hopefully, this episode was worth it for you, our listeners. Uh, and tune in next week for another full-length episode of Smack My Pitch Up, where we pitch. I don't know something. I don't think we figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get it. We'll get it. Yeah, we can do like uh, I don't know. We could do, oh, look, I bought Hansel and Gretel. We could do that. I don't know. Whatever. We could do a grim fairy tale. Uh, there's there's plenty of wiggle room with any of the grim fairy tales, really. But Have any of those been made into significant motion pictures? Uh, I mean, not Hansel and Gretel, but... The Brothers Grimm, which was a 
Terry Gilliam movie. I remember that one. That was yeah. bad. Uh, it had uh, who was it? Was it Matt Damon? Was it was it uh, what's his been? It was Matt Damon. Yeah, Matt Damon, and, and I don't remember who the other guy I was. Forget but... who else was in it? Yeah, but it was it was not good. Very not good. And what was upsetting is it's like one of my favorite directors as well that did it. So I was excited. It's like it's Terry Gilliam doing a Brothers Grimm movie. This is going to be so dark and weird and twisted. And then it was just this like fucking studio garbage that came out. Yeah, I remember it. I, I have seen it. I don't remember anything about it. They were like con artists, and then they came into some real stuff. They were like, "Oh shit, it's real." Yeah, that was the um, thing. They were going town to town telling these stories about how they like they killed witches or something, and the town's like, "Ooh, stories!" And then they found a town that it, oh, had a real witch, and they were like, "Oh fuck." The end. That's the story. That's the whole. Yeah, uh, so I remember that as a basic setup, and I don't remember anything else about the movie. I don't remember much else either. It was it was a very forgettable movie, so I don't. That might be the way to go. So we're not doing that, yeah, or, or not. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. Uh, the best way to figure out what we do is to rate, review, subscribe, subscribe to this show anywhere that you can subscribe to your podcasts, and uh, let us know what you want to hear for future episodes, what you thought about previous ones, what you would mash up with Wizard of Oz. Or uh, what you what you thought about everything everywhere all at once? We're I'm definitely open. Or generally, to just talk at us. Yeah, talk at us on Twitter. We got the social the media. Smack my pitch up account is waiting for you. It is. We're ready to roll. So check those out, and we'll find it next time. I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Tondi. And uh, you you there's no place like pitch. There's, uh, there's follow that pitchy brick road. Pitchy brick road. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> GUIPodcast.com Mike the Hobbit here. Lowdown Brown. Inviting you to check out Geek Some of the Influence, a podcast that pairs booze with conversation with good friends. And a little nerd culture. We get a lot of colorful conversation out of our episodes, but it is here for everyone. No gatekeeping. Always level up everything we do. We'll punch up, never punch down. Exactly. So check out Geeks Under the Influence everywhere you get your podcasts and join us or die. Shut the fuck up, Hobbit. Welcome to GUI Nights. GUI Nights. Yeah, I am Lowdown Brown. With me as always, Mike the Hobbit. This is the tangential side of GUI. This is like so many of those other shows that has the after the show bit mixed with a little bit of Baywatch night, so it's a little sexier. It's a little bit after hours. Also, while tying it into the previous episode of GUI, so look forward to that too, because this comes out the week after the flagship hour-long episode. So make sure to check out GUI nights, and uh, when you're done, you can go the fuck home. My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. Hey guys, Scotty P here with Smash on your left. And we are the Geek Fathers. That's right, bringing all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So welcome to our world. And as always, join us or cry. 
Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. In a world of blockbuster movies, there is another dimension. The dimension of schlock cinema. Join us at Beautiful Disasters on a journey into the fringe territory of B-movie abandon. We review the flicks that are forgotten or underappreciated to give them a proper place in the annals of celluloid history. I'm the Groots. F.U. Hunter. Your guides at Beautiful Disasters. Come along with us for a fun ride. May May the the schlock be with you. you.